Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I just want to take a moment, let you know a few things that are coming up in our community. Today, Clyde Glass is continuing our series, Seeds of Transformation. And as I mentioned last week, we do have three very key summer events at Southview that will be upon us before we know it. Those three events are Summer Kids Camp, Stampede Breakfast, and then the Block Party at the end of the summer. And these events don't happen without a number of people stepping in to volunteer. And so we would love to have you serve in this way. All three of these events are great ways to reach out into our community. And so you can visit our Serve page on the website, or if you're around the church on the weekend, for the next few weeks, there is a Serve table where you can sign up for more information. And Camp Camisol, we're having a Serve weekend for Camp Camisol coming up June 9th through June 11th. And there are a number of projects that we're going to be working on ahead of camp starting up this week this summer and we need your help. And so you can sign up on Realm to be a part of that short-term trip. On May 27th and 28th, we have our annual Pentecost weekend, and the tradition of the church and Southview within that church is to do baptisms that weekend. So anyone who professes faith in Christ are welcome to take that step of obedience if they haven't yet, whether they've been able to attend the baptism class that's coming up on May 18th or not, we want people to take that step if they feel prompted, and we would celebrate that with you. And then lastly, we had a family update this past weekend from Clyde and Fernando, and I'm going to drop it in right here. Hey, just before Spencer comes up for Community Life, uh, Fernando and I want to update you about Fernando's ministry, and he will be serving on staff here at Southview, but it's going to be in an adapted role. Uh, Many of you know that before coming on staff here at Southview, Fernando earned his master's degree in marriage and family counseling. And if you know him, you know that part of who he is, is a counselor. And a couple of months ago, Nando uh, shared that he's drawn to continue serving and leading here, for which we are very thankful but also has a pull to begin to blend his ministry here with a counseling vocation. So after discussing this and praying about it together, uh, with our full support, uh, beginning September 1st, uh, Fernando will move to being half-time on our pastoral staff here, and half-time will begin a counseling vocation uh, outside of church as a marriage and family counselor, uh, both for those in Calgary and his heart, Lord willing, would be able to provide online counseling from a distance for those back in his homeland of the Cayman Islands because there are so few family counselors there in that ministry. So again, I just want to make sure you hear me accurately. September 1st, uh, Fernando will move into a bivocational role. Again, halftime here on a pastoral staff, continuing to oversee our small groups and our men's leadership team, and then halftime uh, working on his own as a marriage and family counselor. And we do so support our brother in his discernment around this and him and Robin in considering what's next. So why don't you share what prompted you in this direction? 
Yeah, so as Clyde said, um, I graduated my master's in family marriage counseling from Barrycrest in 2011. And so I've always has, had these two passions and calls on my life. And one is to uh, help marriages and um, couples continue to grow in health and wellness and see them reach their potential in their relationship. But I also have a passion to shepherd and connect people in community. And uh, over the last few years, I've been really focused in on on my call to be full-time as a pastor in the last I don't know five years my wife and I've been talking and praying and discerning with our my two girls uh, Eden and Micah about maybe leaning into the, the counseling side of things because that's another call and passion of my life and so that's kind of what has led to to this point but the cool thing is we get to do both we get to continue to stay here at Southview which I've been a part of this church on staff for the last 12 years and I f feel the support of the elders and Clyde and, and Sam, and that's exciting because if it was some other kind of news, like I wasn't going to be here anymore, I'd be pretty emotional up here and crying, but I'm excited. So that's good. Uh, anybody that knows me, I'm a, I'm a softy, so I would be pretty emotional and crying, but I'm not. I'm excited and excited to continue to serve here and be a part of this awesome team, and I'm excited to do that. And, and thank you all for your support and prayers, and um, my girls and my wife are really excited to continue being a part of this community as a pastor and then living out the other part of the calling as uh, helping marriage and families. So, yeah. We are so thankful for you, brother. Truly, so thankful. And, and, and just to remind you, nothing's changing right now, right? Uh, these shifts will all take place September 1st. And as we get nearer to that date, we'll let you know how those shifts in Fernando's ministry portfolio will be structured moving forward with that. But wanted to let you know as we move towards that date. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint. And you can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast, or you can go on our website, or you can go on Realm and join the group Southview Family Updates and that will make sure you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, then we'd love to hear from you. We really would. And you can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form, so that we can support and join you in prayer. And additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But today, no matter how you're joining with us, may your heart be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites each of us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. So glad you are here today, friends, or for those joining in online as well. Glad we can be joined together as we come now to God's Word and let it lead us to the meal that's called the Meal of Thanksgiving, the Eucharist, uh, the Meal of Communion together. Now, last weekend in our study of 1 John 5, if you were with us, you saw how John pointed to three vital interwoven elements in this life of following Jesus. And John says that those who authentically follow Jesus will be marked by believing, they believe Christ, which leads to loving, which leads to obeying. Essentially, John's saying, if you believe Christ, you will love Christ. And if you love Christ, you will obey him. And those all work together. And over time, as we saw, as we live in that way, John says, 
We will overcome the world. We will have victory over the pulls of this world that tries to lead us away from Christ. And we can therefore live a different way in relationship with God, whose love for us we cannot even comprehend. Okay, so in our text today, which is the final portion of 1 John, John builds on that reality we looked at last week. So turn in your Bible, if you have it with you, or your Bible app to 1 John, right near the end of your Bible. And we're in 1 John chapter 5, and as you hear it, remember, friends, this is a word of God. And this is what John writes, beginning in verse 13. I write these things... Pause there. What things does John write about? Well, what he just wrote in this epistle, these things we looked at last week about believing, loving, and obeying. I write these things, John says, to you who believe in the name of Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. So John is saying here, what I've been writing to you about believing, loving, and obeying is how you know you have eternal life. Believing, loving, and obeying is one of the primary ways you know you have eternal life. And you do have it, John says. I see it in you, he writes here. You believe in the name of Jesus. And that's how you know you have eternal life. And so John then continues by saying this in verse 14. And this is a confidence that we have towards him. As we are believing Christ, loving Christ, obeying Christ. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So we could put it this way. As John expresses here, the God of heaven is eager to collaborate with those who authentically believe, love, and obey him. In fact, God is looking for that. God is looking around for those he can partner with in his kingdom work. Okay, so where do you get that? Well, in a number of places of Scripture, it speaks of it, but one of the ones being in 2 Chronicles 16.9, where it says this, For the eyes of the Lord, they run to and fro throughout the whole earth, and what is God looking to do? To give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. So the God, think of this, the God of creation is looking for people who believe him, love him, and obey him, so that he might give them his strong support. That's what God wants for you. So keep following, keep believing and loving, even those times when it may not feel like God is hearing you, when it may feel like he's not answering. It may feel like your prayers make no difference. Oh, he hears you, John says. So keep on believing, keep on praying. Okay, now one of the things I want us to see here is kind of this sequential dynamic that John describes here, meaning, as we looked at last week, that believing, loving, obeying Christ is how we overcome the world. It's how we know that God hears our prayers. As you believe, love, and obey Christ, you will increasingly grow 
in overcoming the pulls of this world and in having increased assurance that God hears your prayers. Okay, but there's kind of the flip side, the reverse dynamic here as well that I want us to see also. Because again, over and over again, John tells his readers, and therefore us, things that they need to know. Have you seen that in here? In fact, John reminds them over and over about things they already do know and need to be reminded of. In fact, 39 times in this comparatively short epistle, and even seven times in just our passage we're covering today, John uses that word, know. That you may know. By this you know. For we have come to know. And sometimes John just says, we know. So John makes it crystal clear what the purpose, really, of this entire epistle is in verse 13 when he says this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may what? You may know. You may know that you have eternal life. I mean, apparently, there are some things in this life with Jesus, friends, we need to know. And John wants to make so certain we do know. Because as he says here, we need to know we have eternal life. We need to know God hears us when we pray. We need to know God answers when we pray. We need to know that it matters that we pray. And then John adds this list of what we know and need to know in verse 19. He says this. Here's another thing we know. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now let's just flip that around. You could put it this way, even though we live in a world that lies in the power of the evil one, we need to know, friends, that we are from God. We need to be assured of that. So fear not, he will be with you, he will keep you. And then John continues in verse 20 in saying this, and here's another thing, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may what? No, that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ, and we need to know that he is the true God and eternal life. We need to know, we need to remember regularly all of this. So therefore, John says, keep on believing, loving, and obeying. Okay, but that sequential dynamic Believing and loving and obeying leads to knowing. It really works the other way as well. Because God fully knows this about us. If we are going to be able to continue believing, loving, and obeying, then we first are going to need to know that we belong to him. If we are going to believe, love, and obey God, then we first need to know that he does hear us when we pray, that he answers our prayers, that he's actively involved in our lives. We need to know, we need to remember that the Son of God has come and that he is real and that in him we have our life and also that he is true. We need to know that. We need to remember that because if you don't know 
if you don't have assurance that those things are true about God and about his son Jesus, and if you don't know within your spirit that those things are true about you, then often you will not have the spiritual strength, courage, and endurance to keep on believing, loving, and obeying. And especially when the lights go out. And the night is long, and the shades in life seem to be pulled, and you can't hear his voice, and you can't really see his face. That's why John says 39 times in this letter and seven times in these closing verses, these things I write so you will know, so you will be assured. Because in some ways, it's by knowing that you'll be able to believe. So believing on one hand leads to knowing, but also knowing it leads to believing. It works both ways. Let me put it this way. You know, when John wrote his gospel, not this epistle, but when he wrote his gospel, he wrote that gospel to unbelievers, to those who didn't yet believe in Christ. So John says in his gospel these words in explaining why he wrote. This is in John chapter 20, verse 31. These are written so that you may believe, that you may believe that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Okay, so just catch that. John wrote his gospel so that people who did not yet believe would believe. Okay, but when John wrote his epistle that we've been studying over the course of several months now, he wrote it to those who already believed in Christ, but he wrote it so that they would have confidence in their belief. Look at verse 13 again. I write these things to you, to you who already believe, that you may, here it is again, know you have eternal life. So in order that you may have confidence in that reality, which I think leads us to ask, so why did they need to be kind of pulled up? Why did they need more confidence in their faith? Why did John say 39 times, here's what we know, here's what we can be assured of? And it was because they had lost their spiritual confidence. And if you lose your confidence, it is really hard to keep on Believing, loving, and obeying. Because if you lose your confidence, you can begin to wonder if it's worth it. You can begin to wonder if it really matters. And even if you really matter. You ever lose your confidence? Again, maybe in spiritual things. Maybe it was there. And maybe because of some stumbling that you went through and you're discouraged and you're not even sure if God can do anything to help. Or maybe it's nothing you did or didn't do. 
But it's that the enemy keeps coming at you with accusations, condemnation. God doesn't care about you. Your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. God isn't with you. I mean, let's just, just consider confidence in other areas of your life. Maybe not in spiritual things, but in another area of your life where maybe you might have even had previous successes, maybe a lot of confidence, but then you lose it. You know that feeling? We, we read that about athletes all the time, don't we? These incredibly skilled athletes, for some reason, lose their confidence. And it is an unsettling thing, whether it is athletic or whether it's spiritual. It can take the wind out of your sails. It can sap your strength. It really can undermine your endurance. It can wither your courage. In fact, there's a vivid phrase in the book of Joshua where it says that after God's people had faced just one difficulty after another, it says their courage turned to water. Your courage ever turn to water? I know what that feels like. How about you? Because losing confidence really in any area, it makes you more tentative, right? It makes you less willing to take a risk, less willing to step out in faith. It makes you ask questions like, am I wasting my time? Did I miss the boat on something here? Does it, any of this even matter? And if you've experienced that or perhaps are even feeling that today, I mean, you need to know you are not alone in that. And even the people to whom John was writing this letter were feeling precisely that. So why did they lose their spiritual confidence? You know, as we've seen in previous weeks, these fairly new followers of Christ, they'd really been drawn away from the faith by false teachers in the churches who claimed to have this special hidden knowledge of God. And, and that's why these false teachers were therefore called the knowers or the Gnostics, which as we've seen before, that comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. These were the knowing ones. That's what they claimed. So these false teachers said, the idea that Jesus is God, the idea that Jesus is human, that's ridiculous. What thinking person would believe that? But then these Gnostics also said, they therefore had their own law. They had their own guidance for life. No need to follow what scripture says. I'll do what I want when I want. I, I determine what is sinful, what is not sinful. And they called all this freedom. Which you may know is the same twisted teaching of our own day. Which all led these Gnostics to also discount love. Because they didn't want to have anything to do with people who weren't like them. They didn't want to have anything to do with people who were beneath them, people who disagreed with them. Who wants to love those kind of losers? And all of this, it shook the faith of these simple, faithful followers of Jesus. And their courage, it turned to water. Friends, it's into that dynamic that John writes this letter. 
And know this, John speaks to them, therefore, as a loving father, like a loving father to his daughter, like a father to his son. In fact, as one scholar observes, this entire epistle is what you could call a father talk. You know father talks? You ever experience a father talk with your dad? When he'd sit you down to share some concerns. That's what this letter is. It is a father talk to beloved children who are really right on the edge in their faith. I had a very loving father and mother. And I remember every so often my father sitting me down and having a father talk with me. We didn't like those, did we? (laughs) When he would kind of graciously address an area of my life where he was concerned, and at times it was when he knew I needed to be lifted up or encouraged or upheld because he knew me. (laughs) He loved me deeply. And I realize some of us do not have or did not have fathers who were loving. So the image of a father might not be a good one for you. But I think, I I hope, we can all at least imagine what a truly loving father would be like. I think we can all picture that, perhaps. So could I encourage us all to receive John's words, even all that we've been receiving in this letter, can you receive John's words as those of a truly loving father? Receive this as a father talk. Let John be your father today. And here's what John the apostle, John the father of these faithful ones, begins to say. He says, my beloved children, there's some things you need to know especially in this dark time when you've lost your confidence and and it feels, I know it feels like the lights have gone out. There's some things you need to remember about what I know you do know. And and so John says to them back in chapter 2 and verse 21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. But you have forgotten it. And I'm writing because you do have an anointing. You have a new identity from God himself. And you have forgotten. You have forgotten the Holy Spirit anointing and child of God identity that is now yours in Christ. So let me talk to you, John says. Let me ask you a question, my dear son, my dear daughter. Who's the liar in all of this? Let me tell you who the liar is. Says John in chapter 2, the liar is the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, who denies that Jesus is our deliverer. Oh, my little children, the stakes on this are so high. As your father, I exhort you, do not be deceived. Because those liars, they are around us, they are among us, even right now. And so John says, back in chapter 2, verse 12, I'm writing to you, my little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, young women, because you have overcome the evil one. So, my beloved children, do not love the world. Do not believe what the world around you says is a pathway to true life. 
Because that false pathway, it destroys people. It destroys families. It destroys churches. I want you to know this abundant life that is only in Christ. And I want you to know this because you are children of God through Jesus. That's why John says in chapter 4, verse 4, little children, you are from God. Verse 6, we are from God. Do not forget this. Hold on to this reality. So how do I know God loves me? How can I be sure? Here's how you know. Chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. So when you doubt or are uncertain about his love, look to the cross of Jesus. Draw your mind there. And by his power, by his spirit, keep on believing, loving, and obeying. Even when the night is dark, even when you cannot see his face, and when you're not sure he hears you, even when the way forward feels uncertain and unclear. And all of that kind of oddly leads us to verse 16. And we look at it, and partly because it seems like an odd verse, a confusing declaration right in the middle of what John has just been saying here. Because this is what it says, verse 16 and 17 in chapter 5. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, meaning he shall pray, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. Where'd that come from? And again, I don't want to take a lot of time on this, but I I want to at least ask as we read that, what is that all about? And really, you could spend a long time looking at numerous respected biblical scholars trying to decipher what John is saying in these two verses here and in all the different theories about it. So we ask, what is this about? And as we ask that question, we remember, because we've been trained in this, we remember we need to pay attention to the context, right? The context here. We need to read these verses, verse 16 and 17, not as isolated verses. We need to read them in the context or flow of all that John has been saying here. So we ask the question, so what is the context around verses 16 and 17? What has John just been saying that might help us understand these two verses? And and so we ask, okay, so who has John just been confronting? And... Who has John just been encouraging? Because those questions help us really get some clarity about these two verses. And as we think of that, we can then understand, okay, that the sin that leads to death that John refers to here, that's the sin of these false teachers, these Gnostics. And so we ask, what was at the center of the Gnostics' sin? Because this isn't just about one specific act or action that, okay, if you mess up and do that, man, you are dead. There's no forgiveness for that. No, it's not that. So what was at the center of the Gnostic sin? 
denial of the deity of Christ, denial of the humanity of Christ, and therefore, denial of the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross in saving us. So again, this is not referring to kind of struggling with or questioning with those realities. It is speaking of these false teachers who had decided we will not bow to Jesus. And John is saying that pathway of denying Christ, that is a way of death. That is a sin that will lead you to death. So, could these Gnostics have repented? We don't know if they did or not. Could they have turned to Jesus for forgiveness after this? Yes. But while they walked in denial of Christ, they were heading towards ultimate death. But John's central encouragement, therefore, is remember. Remember. Remember God hears you when you pray. Remember, it matters that you pray. So even in times of uncertainty and darkness, keep on praying. And then John goes on to say, I know how you've been withered by these false teachers around you. So rest, be secure in what you do know. Verse 19, we know we are from God. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that as well. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ, because he is the true God in eternal life. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, says John. We know Jesus is the true God. We know and rest on that reality. We know we are his. So beloved, keep on believing, loving, obeying and praying so that you might know these things you already know. So how about for you? What reality, what truth do you need to stand on? What truth of Christ do you need to hold to in these days? I want you to know, this isn't just some theoretical issue in our lives. This is intensely practical. In fact, this Past Friday, we had the memorial service for Grayson Prather, who died at 18 years old in a tragic accident. And in a tragedy like that, there's so many questions, so many things we don't know. But in the days following his accident, Brad, Michelle, and their family, they, they clung to each other. And I saw it. They clung to what they did know. We know God loves us. We know our God is there. And that was their focus at the memorial service. As they celebrated Grayson's life and, and held on to what we do know. And that's what Grayson's mom, Michelle, declared. As she sang up here with Brett, a song of, of God, of hope, of pain, right in the middle of darkness, right in the middle of unimaginable grief. Because in those moments, my friends, 
In those moments, we need to cling to what we know. We need to cling to his love. We need to cling to the cross. So before we do that, before we come to the table, would you first, will you bow your heads with me for a moment? And, and can I prompt you in this quietness, those three questions we ask a lot around here. Can you just ask, what is God saying to me? What is he saying to me in this moment? And then the critical second question, what am I going to do about it? Is there a step God is prompting you to take in obedience? And then the third question is, who knows or who will you tell regarding question two? And oh, our Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the reality of your love, your presence, the hope you've given us in your Son. And even as we come to this meal, Father, I pray you would bring encouragement, nourishment, spiritual food and strength to my brothers and sisters through this bread and cup. For we come in Jesus' name, and all God's people say, Amen. So how do we know he loves us? Because he laid down his life for us. And so he gives us this very practical, tangible expression of of breaking bread, of, of lifting this cup together. And Father, as we do this again, we pray you would nourish us in this meal. For we come in faith in your son and ask it in his name. Amen. So would you take... The cup you received as you came in and just pull back that top section. And once you have the bread, would you hold it for a moment? Just want to give you a moment of stillness. And resting in his love. A love you can be assured of because the body of Christ was broken for you. So take and receive from him. And then let's take the cup. And he gave us this meal, in part, I think, to make us pause. To pause and just consider and feel his love. Drink his love. Because the blood of Christ was poured out for you. So drink and receive from him. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray again. Father, again, by work of your spirit, not by human intellect alone, by, by your spirit, would you cause us to know these things? I am sure there are some here who are going through deep waters, uh, days of darkness, 
And so I pray, Father, again by your spirit, they'd be reminded of your love, your presence, your encouragement, that you hear their prayers. Guide us as well in ways that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to others going through these times. Even this week, lead us in this way, we pray, and ask it all in the wonderful name of your Son, in the name of Jesus, and all God's people say, amen. Amen. Will you stand with me, friends? I so hope you can join us next week. We are going to be moving into a short series, preparing for Pentecost and looking at the Holy Spirit. I so hope you can be back for next weekend in that. And I remind you as well, our gathering isn't over. It's a time to hang out, maybe get a coffee, decaf, or whatever you want, or tea. You can sit on the patio now in the beauty of this day and hope you can welcome others. If you're a newcomer, go to the Newcomer Center, please, because we'd love to know that you're here with us. And now as you walk in this week, whatever, again, it is going to hold for you. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more beyond all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's walk in that hope. Amen.